Hi, buddy. You're gonna you're gonna help me record today. You are very very helpful, friend. But you're between me and my alcohol. Yeah, and me and my script. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. I am your librarian, Katrina. I got cat hair all over me. My cat decided to help. See, cat, he's helping. If you are new here, welcome. This is where I am reading through the enormous library books you see behind me. As soon as I rotate my camera a little bit, you can see more of them. <laughs> Cat hair. Yes. Yes. If you are new here, welcome. If you like books and just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button. Like and share my videos. Let me know what you think in the comments. I give you a synopsis after I read the books. I feel like my, my usual opening got distracted by cat. So sorry about that. This week's book joined my library after I heard that Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos had been found guilty of defrauding investors in January of this year. And one quick Amazon search later and I had found this book, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by John Carreyrou. Not to be confused with the other Bad Blood book I read this year about the Tuskegee Syphilis experiment. This Bad Blood specifically details the rise and subsequent fall of Elizabeth Holmes' company uh, and her company Theranos, and the accompanying topical cocktail is called Edison's Medicine, very appropriate, which is six basil leaves, specifically, one and a half ounces of kachaka, Never heard of that before, but I went out and bought some. Half ounce of yellow chartreuse, three quarters ounce lime juice, a half ounce of agave syrup. And if you are using dry ice, you can add one third ounce of chilled water. I'm using regular ice, which is wet, so I will omit the water. Let's do this. One quick disclaimer. Not all of the names mentioned in the book are the correct names. Uh, so they all belong to real people. I mean, he's a experienced, you know, journalist, does his job. They all belong to real people, but some of them who were granted pseudonyms by the author to protect their identity because Theranos was quite litigious back in the day. And whereas some books will include a little asterisk the first time a pseudonym is used, this one did not, which I was okay with. Um, it kept me from wanting to look everybody up and being, is that real? Is that a real person? Is that a real person? Because it doesn't matter, right? They just, the name is there. Take it for what it is. Now, Elizabeth Holmes was born on February 3rd, 1984 in Washington, D.C. to Christian Rasmus Holmes IV and Noel Ann Holmes. The family was not wealthy, although they certainly came from wealth, as she traces her heritage back to medical doctors on one side and the Fleischmann fortune on the other, Fleischmann being the yeast manufacturers that rose up in the late 20th, 19th century? Late 19th century. So. They had money at one point. The family had money at one point, although not hers, because by the time Elizabeth was born, the money was basically gone due to bad money management. Uh, incidentally, this is not unusual. Generational wealth is, to a certain extent, a fiction, a myth, as those who don't earn it rarely know how to keep it past inheritance. Anyway, Elizabeth wanted to be rich. That was her stated life goal. Like, as a kid, she... she that was what she wanted to do, was to restore the family fortune. And at first she was on track to do exactly that. She worked her butt off in school and earned her way into Stanford University, which is no small feat, right? And they don't just let anybody into Stanford. You do have to have some sort of mental chops to make it into that place. So she was certainly smart. It's just too bad that she was grossly impatient. If she had actually taken the time to learn all she could about her chosen field, she might not be in the pickle she is in now. Oh. I need to start making my cocktail or I'm never going to get it made. 
and then I will be dry and sad throughout this entire ordeal. So while she was growing up and given that she was very smart, she was enrolled in a summer language program to learn Mandarin and spent the summer she turned, I think it was 18, in China. And this is actually where she met Ramesh Sunny Balwani, who stood up for her against some bullies or well, maybe they were just the only two people who actually could talk to each other because she was very smart. Basil smells good. I like the smell of I've heard that she was bullied or that they just became friends, whatever. That's where they met. They were in the same language program. And yes, he was an adult man, but he was also independently wealthy at this point, having gotten in on the dot-com boom fairly early and sold off his part of a company when the company sold. I don't remember which one. It's, it's, it's in the book. But he was wealthy. He had like $40 million. So he was more or less retired and able to do whatever he wanted, which included going to China for the summer language program, where he met a young Elizabeth Holmes. So she gets back from China and spends one year at Stanford. All right, she starts there. She spends one year before thinking she has found the next big medical hit, a patch that will sit on the skin and test the blood while delivering the medicine. And she took this idea to Professor Phyllis Gardner at Stanford University, who is, I believe, a medical doctor. And Dr. Gardner explained to her all the ways that this idea is not going to work. Um, and it's not necessarily that it was a bad idea, and I don't even think Dr. Gardner was mean in it. She was just trying to explain the reality of what Elizabeth wanted to do, which is that medicine needs large doses and you can't microdose through the skin. It's just that there's no practical possible way to do it. Um, not saying it can never ever be done, but Elizabeth's idea wasn't going to be the way to do it. Kachaka they recommended was like $119 a bottle, so I went with the way cheaper Soul premium kachaka. They did not have it in tiny little bottles, so I had to go for the, you know, big ass bottle. Dr. Gardner, though, recognizing her passion, referred Elizabeth to Channing Robertson over at the School of Engineering. And there, Elizabeth talked, uh, I said Dr. Gardner, Dr. Robinson, Robertson, into supporting her vision, and he became among the first to invest in her vision and company. Ooh, she drops out of Stanford in 2003. She does one year, drops out, along with co-founder Chinook Roy, and formed Real-Time Cures, renaming the company Theranos later that year. Um, I think it was a combination of therapy and diagnosis is where she came up with the name. Roy, uh, Chinook Roy, would eventually sell his 1.13 million shares back to the company at 50 cents a share which is a hell of a discount. It was like 82% of what it was, what the, him and the other investors had paid into the company. And it turns out he was really lucky in that discount. He walked away with like half a million dollars, which probably didn't seem too lucky in 2014 when uh, the New York Times, or not New York Times, Fortune Magazine named her like the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. So he probably didn't feel too lucky then. He will. He will. By the end of the story, he's going to feel really lucky that he got out when he did. Now, she immediately starts seeking out investors and rounded up a pretty solid initial round of $6 million. And within three years, Theranos is a going concern. It's a business. They're, they're in business. They're going. And Holmes was in business with a solid board of directors, which included like Channing Robertson, Don Lucas, um, somebody from Apple, Avi, Avi somebody from Apple. Avi Tavanian uh, from Apple was, was one of her, was he from Apple? I think he worked at Apple. I, I might be getting some of the details fuzzy here. So, but yes, they, I mean, it was solid. All right. She had a good board of directors. It's called very specifically for yellow chartreuse. And luckily for me, that was the only chartreuse they had in stocks. 
So Robertson had uh, had already been introduced. Don Lucas is a Silicon Valley venture capitalist. His name is quite big. You can Google him. You'll find him anywhere. And these guys, along with many smaller investors, including Holmes's parents, were keeping the company going through failure after failure and an alarmingly high amount of turnover. Uh, and if there is one thing this book highlights in detail, it is the employee burnout, which occurred as a result of an incredibly toxic work environment. Um, Elizabeth did not like to be told no. All right. As, as seen when Dr. Gardner told her no, she got pissy and went and, and took it. I mean, she went to Dr. Robertson because Dr. Gardner sent her over there. But then she got vindictive with it. And anybody who told her no was boom out. She just had no patience for anybody saying this can't be done. And never mind if that person had a suggestion on how it might be done. If it wasn't the way she wanted it done, all bets were off and you were out the door. And this place was so toxic. One of the rejected, and, and eventually uh, board member Avi Tavanian, who was given the option to get with the program or leave, opted to address his, his concerns with the rest of the board of directors and recommended a, a vote of no confidence, right? He, he said the board should basically hire an adult to oversee the company. At this time, she's like 22 and uh, clearly problematic and highlighted many of the concerns that he and other employees had had and basically Holmes was overpromising and not just under-delivering, but failing to deliver anything at all. Fabulous, right? Technically, it's supposed to be fresh lime juice. I have not the patience to squish out another lime, so I'm just going to do the bottled lime juice. Close enough. Close enough works in cocktails, does not work in medical therapy. I just want you to know that, okay? So the board does vote the no confidence, and Elizabeth goes into the meeting and turns it around. She talks them into keeping her on. Um, and shortly after that, Sonia Belwani joins the company as chief operating officer. She does not tell the board that Sonny is her boyfriend, which is just grossly unethical, right? They absolutely had the right to know that she had called her boyfriend in to help run the company. She didn't tell them that. She just said, oh, this is a buddy of mine. He's going to come on as chief operating officer. He's got to pledge some of his own money. And here we go. And the board accepted it because they all liked Elizabeth. Apparently she was quite likable. Most psychopaths are. I am judging here. I am judging the shit out of her. She might not be a psychopath. She might just be a very engaging young woman. I don't know, but I am unimpressed. Is that everything? That's everything. And between the two of them, Sunny and Elizabeth, they actually made the company even more toxic, if you can believe that. Um, I mean, seriously, uh, they, they basically forbid the different departments from talking to each other. So the biologists and the chemists who are, you know, actually overseeing the tests and reading the results and seeing what's possible are forbidden from talking to the engineers who are going to actually make the machine. Very helpful, right? And the engineers are forbidden from talking to the design team who are going to determine what the device looks like. So they're all forbidden from talking to the press by these draconian non-disclosure agreements that are not uncommon in any industry. NDAs exist everywhere. But what is unusual is the absolute hostility which with, with which former employees were pursued with the NDAs. I mean, hostile, hostile, hostile. It was vile. I gotta shake this up. So turnover's high, and while the hostile work environment is the number one reason, the number one contributing factor to the hostility is the fact that the machines don't work. And anyone who brings this to Elizabeth's attention is fired. And the terminations are hostile. Security corrals the fired and frog marches them out the door, forcing them to sign a new round of NDAs on their way out. Um, I think the NDAs may have even said they're not allowed to say they worked at Theranos or something like that. I mean, it was just insane uh, how tight this was. Uh, for 
Well, I'd say for a machine that doesn't work, but that's exactly why it was so tight. They didn't want it getting out that the machines didn't work. Yeah, sick. That's why it said fine strain. I probably should have double strained it. I just got a chunk of basil in my cocktail. Oh, well. And this goes on for a decade. Literally a decade she keeps this facade going. And the failure is hidden behind NDAs, this ruthlessness and mental brutality. And where things start to fall apart is when old family friend Richard Fuse... Okay, so Elizabeth, for a time, grew up in Washington, D.C. All right, she was born there. They moved around a bit. She eventually ended back in D.C., and their neighbors were the Fuses. Now, Richard was not so much friendly with the family as his wife, Lorraine, was really good friends with Noel. They were I mean, besties, right? But when he heard that Elizabeth had started a medical technology company, he was pretty pissed because she hadn't approached him. And uh, she he would be a logical choice to be on the board of directors. Even if he wasn't friendly with the family Lorraine was, the family certainly knew each other, and which means Elizabeth knows that he was a doctor, actual bona fide medical MD. And he owned patents on several medical devices himself and had retired from like medical supply companies and other medical industries. And that's probably one of the oddest things and biggest red flags about Theranos. The board of directors did not include one single person who was medically knowledgeable. It's weird, right? I mean, a company dedicated to improving health care and wellness does not include a single person knowledgeable about med medicine and health care. I mean, not above the position of lab tech. And that's no disrespect to lab tech. Seriously, truly, they are the worker bees that make modern medicine possible for all of us. They contribute huge amounts of time and enthusiasm. I don't think they're necessarily paid well, which means they do it for love of the job and wanting to help people. That smells odd. It's kind of tangy and tart. Drinkable, but it's probably not going to be my favorite cocktail. So Elizabeth is promising the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky to her investors and clients, who at this point include Walgreens and Safeway, and has absolutely no way to actually deliver on these promises. And she is swearing that with a single drop of blood from your fingertips, they can run hundreds of blood tests and deliver accurate results from this single drop of blood. Every other lab testing company in the world, not just Quest and LabCorp, who are the two guys here in the United States, but every company requires tubes of blood drawn intravenously. And those, those tubes, they stick in your arm. Yeah. And to deliver on her promises, Theranos has to fall back on commercially available Siemens machines and venous blood draws those tubes they stick in your arm. So Richard Fuse, when he hears what Holmes is up to, looks at everything she is filing with the patent office, because this is all public information, it has to be, so that you don't file a patent on something that already exists, sees what the missing element is from her design and immediately files a patent for that missing link, which basically sails through the patent office because there's no other design there in the patent office. Unfortunately for Fuse, and this is where he shot himself in the foot, in his anger and schadenfreude at having discovered something that she didn't think of, he includes in the patent that his design is meant to work with or in conjunction with Theranos and their machines. And this becomes problematic because Elizabeth gets wind of this and hires nationally feared litigator David Boyce to sue Fuse and his sons for patent infringement, basing his claim not on Fuse citing Theranos in the patent application. There's nothing wrong with that. But on the fact that one of his sons was working at the same office that Elizabeth had been using for legal representation at that time. 
Now, Boyd's, if you don't recognize the name, represented Al Gore in the 2000 election in court and represented the Department of Justice against Microsoft when they brought suit against Microsoft for monopolistic tendencies. Yeah. He's feared. He's a nationally feared litigator. should probably use a pseudonym in this review just in case, but there it is. It is really sweet. I don't know. Now, there is not and never was any indication that John Fuse, which was the son that was working at the law office, ever engaged in anything appro approaching inappropriate behavior or ever looked up or accessed Theranos trademark or patent secrets. There was nothing there to the allegation. But that did not stop Boyce, Theranos, and Holmes from suing the Fuse family, which took several million dollars to defend against. And for all that, they came within just a hair's breadth, of, the, the Fuses came within a hair's breadth of vindication of the charges. They had subpoenaed to testify one Ian Gibbons, Gibbons who was a chemist. He was a chemist at Theranos to testify in the patent lawsuit. And the reason he was subpoenaed is because all of those patent applications that Elizabeth had filed, Ian Gibbons was on every single one of them. And had Gibbons testified, his testimony would have invalidated most of Holmes's patents, if not all of them, because she didn't actually contribute anything to the creation of what was being patented. Turns out you have to actually participate to get your name on that patent. I think, I think that that is why most patents are registered to companies and not to individuals. I think. I could be wrong. I haven't done a lot of research into that. But I have a feeling that that's what happens. Because, small aside here, a lot of companies will have a thing where, you know, whatever work you do, whatever work you do while working for them belongs to the company. So it, it would have to be the company that patents them, right? Unfortunately, that extreme ruthlessness and the NDAs that Holmes and Theranos had already demonstrated pushed Gibbons into a deep depression. And shortly before he was scheduled to appear in court, he committed suicide by ingesting a large amount of acetaminophen and alcohol, which shut down his liver. That was the last possible out the fuses had, so they settled by simply signing over their patent and agreeing each side would pay their own legal expenses. And it could have been worse. He could have had to pay Theranos legal expenses. My heart breaks for Gibbons. I think he was, pro he was a good man who just wanted to do his job and was hounded to death by Theranos. And it's at this point in the story where I went from being shocked at Elizabeth Holmes to being absolutely outraged and angered by everything. Um, but at this point, Theranos seems unstoppable, right? Everything becomes a bait and switch. I mean, everything. Get them in promising them that finger prick and then stick a needle in their arm. And that happens again and again. And the results were so wildly inaccurate that doctors in the field ended up ordering regular panels from established labs anyways. And thank God, because I don't think I, anybody actually died as a result. Uh, th but there was a lot of really unnecessary medical testing done as a result. There was one lady who uh, panicked. She thought she was having a stroke because of these results. And several thousand dollars in, you know, conventional medical testing later, she was perfectly fine and healthy. There was one lady who was told her thyroid hormone was off the chart. When it wasn't, it was being well-regulated by the medicine. And if the doctor hadn't ordered a second set of chem panels from an established lab, she might have miscarried her pregnancy. There was a guy who had a heart attack that was fully preventable if Theranos lab results had been accurate. Fortunately, he lived, but still, this is what we're dealing with. The major points that Elizabeth lied to use as a selling point was that the Department of Defense was using this machine in the field in Afghanistan and that hospitals were using this tech for diagnosis. Neither of these claims were true, all right? None of this was happening. 
she did manage to convince General Mattis, bad dog Mattis, as to the value of her product. And I think she did it pulling on his heartstrings. Because Mattis, if the, one of the reasons he is so loved by his men is because he loved them back. He genuinely wanted his pe the, the very best for his people. And she sold him on the idea that this was the best. And so he wanted... You know, I mean, he was top dog, right? Not just mad dog, top dog. So he's pushing to get the stuff in the field. Unfortunately for Elizabeth, that had to go through Dr. or Lieutenant Colonel David Shoemaker, who was, I believe it was a doctor also. Uh, he was the one who was in charge of requisi uh, requisitioning and deploying medical devices to the field. And he stopped it in its tracks because there was no verification the machine worked. There was no FDA approval. And without FDA approval... There is no giving it to the troops back then. The recent medical scare is something else entirely. I don't even know what happened there. I think what happened there is they didn't have Lieutenant Colonel David Shoemaker stopping him. But anyways, he talked him down, including Mad Dog Mattis. And, and I think he's the only person to receive a I Survived Mad Dog Mattis t-shirt, something like that, when he retired. Because he talked it back and said, no, we don't have the proper clearances. We can't do this. And uh, unlike in hospitals, unlike Walgreens and Safeway, excuse me, would require FDA approval for any lab type equipment. And Theranos had been very careful to skirt those edges for anything resembling contact with the FDA. Also, highly sus. Now they used all sorts of legal sleight of hand to explain why they did not need FDA approval for their Edison device. Sorry, Edison, hence the name of the cocktail. It's what they called their first testing machines and the reason for the cocktail. So, the lies and fraud continue unabated, and in 2014, Holmes is named the youngest self-made billionaire on the planet. I need a new camera. See, it started blinking out, and I hit stop, and I unplugged it, and I plugged it back in. I started going through the rest of my, my, my review here. Forgot to hit record. So I'm going to pick up here just slightly more tipsy because I've been drinking this whole time. See, not as much cocktail in the glass. So sorry if I'm slurring. The lies and fraud continue unabated. And in 2014, Holmes is named the youngest self-made billionaire on the planet. And Theranos is evaluated at $9 billion and Holmes is the largest shareholder. And then between the patent lawsuit and Ian Gibbons' widow, Rochelle, who was enraged at what happened to her husband, rightly so, and Theranos lab director Alan Beam leaving Theranos, it starts to unravel. Beam reaches out to Fuse to advise him there's definitely a reason for concern, but Beam is terrified of those NDAs and those lawyers. Rightly so, right? I mean, something like that could not just bankrupt you, it could destroy every aspect of your life. I mean, you could have a very hard time finding work ever again. So he's trying to stay undercover and through this, Fuse reaches out to blogger Adam Clapper of the Pathology blog, who had written a piece on Theranos of curiosity and fascination because Clapper was a pathologist, shockingly enough, given the name of his blog. And Clapper agreed there was something to the story, but did not have the time or resources to take on a multi-billion dollar Silicon Valley unicorn. Uh, the blog was a side project for him. He was a pathologist. He had his own day job that was his more biggest concern. But... Having recognized there was something to it, Clapper gets fused in touch with John Carreyrou, journalist and author of this week's Book of the Week. And Carreyrou is able to start reporting from firsthand experience at this point forward how relentless and brutal Theranos, Holmes, and her legal team are. And they're brutal. 
and they, they hire like private investigators to follow and tail them 24 hours a day, not just him, but like everybody who is suspected of being a uh, source for this story is tailed and hounded by these people. It's awful. Holmes, for her part, approaches Rupert Murdoch. You guys all recognize that name, right? Rupert Murdoch, owner of multimedia establishments. He owns Fox News. He also coincidentally owns the Wall Street Journal. And she talks Rupert Murdoch into investing $125 million in Theranos. Turns out that's a splash in the pond to Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> I, um, I would be quite well off if I had $1 million, but he did not care about the $125 million. And we know that because when Holmes hinted multiple times that the Brad, bad press could kill her company, Murdoch, bless his heart, refused to kill the story. He put her off saying something like they're professionals. If there's nothing to this story, the story will die from attrition. They're not going to post anything, print anything that's going to get me sued. Bless his heart, he trusted his people. That's what happens when you have a decently run company, not this toxic shit show that was Theranos. So at this point, recognizing the story is not going to be killed, the Theranos legal team has a sit-down meeting with Carrie Rue and the Wall Street Journal and tries to intimidate them into not publishing, threatening lawsuits and, you know, their, their usual lawyer tactics. And Carrie Rue, being that he is a professional journalist and not an editorialist, has bulletproof statements for his in the form of, for his story in the form of Tyler Schultz, Erica Chung, multiple doctors, and even patients who have come forward and said, yes, I'm willing to go on record with this. Tyler Schultz and Erica Chung are two former employees of Theranos who stood up to the bullying threats from Theranos and stuck their necks out. Uh, Schultz more than Chung, and that's okay, and here's why. Schultz comes from the famous politically connected family, the Schultzes, patriarch of whom was George Schultz. So if you don't recognize that name, he was Secretary of State? I think he was Secretary of State. He was certainly politically connected enough to be in a position to survive Nixon and Watergate and Reagan and Iran-Contra. He was a major political player in the day. And Tyler tried to talk to his grandfather about Theranos and everything that was going on, and George backed Elizabeth. I don't know what it is about this girl that has everybody like, oh no, she's an angel. She farts fairy dust, and Jesus Christ. Her halo is shiny and perfect, and now it's down around her ankles because she's a lying sack of garbage. But I'm editorializing here, folks. I've never met the woman personally. She might be a lovely human being. Maybe. Erica Chung was a much smaller fish, so she was a lot more terrified. She didn't have the backing of a powerful family. And while George backed Elizabeth initially leaving uh, Tyler and his parents to their own devices. Tyler's parents backed him fully and spent a great deal of money hiring lawyers to fend off the boys team and the NDAs. But they did it. Good people. But Erica did the next best thing. About the only thing a small fish can do in this situation. She contacted the government. I don't remember if it was the FDA or CMS, uh, FDA Federal or Food and Drug Administration, right? CMS is the Centers for Medical, the hell is CMS? Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services is CMS. 
She contacted one of them. I don't remember which one. It is in the book. He spells it out. But she contacts one of them, and uh, they send in a surprise inspection at the lab. <laughs> now, when Theranos would have their investors come in or their clients like Walgreens and Safeway come in, they would run smoke and mirrors. They wouldn't let them actually see the lab where the work was done. And they would do something like, you know, here, we're going to you know, do a finger prick of your blood and put it on the cartridge and put it in the machine, the Edison machine. And we're going to go and tour the rest of the building, except for the labs. And uh, when you come back, your results will be here. And what they would do is they'd put the cartridge in. They'd go on the tour. And as soon as they left, a lab personnel would come in and pull the cartridge out, run a quick sample and come back with something. And then they'd come back from their tour and voila, your results are done and here's your results and you have low vitamin D or God forbid positive for syphilis. Yeah, yeah. They were cleared to test for syphilis and their tests were nowhere near accurate so they could give true or false negatives or positives. So if you ever got tested for syphilis through Theranos, go get retested because as we learned from, you know, the other bad blood books, syphilis will fuck you up. The FDA, CMS, whoever it was, could not be put off of smoke and mirrors. They're a government agency. You are dealing in medical devices. You will let us in. You will let us inspect your lab. And the government agency, through the book of Theranos, ordered them to shut down immediately and prohibited them from performing any kind of medical anything for two years. Her nanotainer that was supposed to hold the blood drops yeah, they were like, no, this is definitely a medical device and it is a non-sanctioned medical device. You're not doing anything for, for two years. Two years. You shut down. You get your shit. In, you get your house in order. We'll come back and see about maybe letting you run again. And the lab report was immediately leaked to the author and a copy of it was placed on the Wall Street Journal website right next to his article on the continuing saga of Theranos. So in 2014, Theranos is rated as being worth $9 billion dollars. In 2016, it was rated at less than zero. It took her two years to fall. Ten years to build it up, two years to fall. So, the spiral at this point continues, and it's all downward at, the, downward at this point. Sunny is fired. The company shrinks. Holmes manages to secure additional funding from private lender using Theranos' patent portfolio as collateral, and that portfolio is seized when Holmes is arrested and indicted for fraud on June 14, 2018. See, if she's arrested and in jail, she can't exactly make payments on that loan, right? So what gives this story so much teeth and, and just makes it a concern for everybody is that Holmes didn't just screw a bunch of extremely wealthy venture capitalists. They're not the only ones who got hurt by her. There are multitudes of much smaller investors, including her family, who lost everything they gave and will never get that money back. And there were thousands of people, millions of people, who used the Theranos devices in Walgreens in Phoenix, Arizona, where they had gone live with her lies and failures, using those smoke screens to hide the truth. I mean, basically, she screwed America, all of it, equally. Opinions, I have them. Seriously, all anybody had to do was look at her idol. I'm not talking about Steve Jobs. All right. Her obsession with Steve Jobs was well known and documented. Her pretentious turtlenecks, the hiring of people from Apple for her design team, her staged photos, which were a direct nod to, to Jobs. Her other idol, Thomas Edison. That man epitomized 
Nothing to see here. Ignore the man behind the curtain. Fraudster. He was such a fraud. I mean, several years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. for work, and one of my oldest friends came down, and we spent a weekend running around D.C. I went to one of the Smithsonian's. I don't remember which one. There's like a dozen of them. And there was a huge display in there dedicated to Edison. And we both kind of looked at each other and went, oh, of course. Of course we're just going to honor the greatest thief in American history. Edison patented a bunch of things. He invented very little of it. And when we walked through the display, we were like, that was Tesla's. And that was Tesla's. Oh, Tesla did that. Edison was a man who spotted opportunity, not a man who invented anything. So her other known idol is a fraudster and thief. And that says a lot about Elizabeth Holmes. And this book was a fascinating study in schadenfreude. And not, not the poor people who just wanted reasonably priced blood work or contributed their life savings to a false idol. I'm talking about the billionaire investors who propped her up and swallowed her lies wholesale for a decade plus. And as early as 2006, so she started the company in 2003, 2006, three years later, the signs are there. I mean, hell, as early as 2003, the signs were there. I remember how I said not one investor or board member had a medical background. It's a huge red flag right there for a medical company. But let's take 2006 as a jumping off point. In 2006, Elizabeth fired her CFO, uh, Chief Financial Officer Henry Mosley. In 2006, Elizabeth and her team had flown to Europe for a demonstration of the Edison device, which failed to work. Failed. All right. So the team faked the demonstration. I mean, in good old-fashioned Edison style. It's exactly what Edison did and would have done in this situation. They used a Wi-Fi connection to fake a report back. Mosley found out about this and expressed concerns and was promptly fired. That's all you need to know right there. And the revolving door, not just the lab workers, but anyone from janitor to the highest executive officers is a screaming alarm bell, all right? Any company that has that much turnover is frightening. And anyone who expressed concerns about the devices, uh, about its failings, or indicated that communicating with another team might be useful, like, you know, maybe the chemist should talk to the engineers to see what works, they were shown the door, right? I mean, it's, it's like the Titanic. I mean, Theranos is like the Titanic, right? We're going to call it Theranos, all right? It hits that iceberg in 2006, and everybody who points out to the captain that we're taken on water are told, well, if you're scared, you just head to lifeboats. We'll be sitting in the nice, warm dining room drinking our champagne while you freeze your butts outside. <laughs> and all the people who took those lifeboats are feeling pretty happy right about now, especially Roy Chinook, right? Or Chinook Roy, excuse me. So in 2018, she's indicted for fraud, and in January 2022, she is found guilty of defrauding investors and not guilty of defrauding patients. Not sure how that happens. Follow the money. Patients didn't have any money. The investors did. Follow the money. Sentencing is scheduled for September 26, 2022. I bet she skates on sentencing. I mean, she could face up to 20 years in prison for this fraud. I and mean, it was pretty serious, right? This is all white-collar stuff, but it's billions of dollars white collar stuff okay and but she'll be sitting there in court she'll have her her new baby who was born in 2021 is going to be sitting in the front row she'll bat her big blue eye for once everybody reports how she never blinked and came across as very intense because of it but i'll bet she blinks now and i'll bet she bats them a lot and uh 
We're gonna find that out in September. I'm gonna. I might actually go to a live TV station to watch that shit. I don't have live TV. I have, I have the internet. Carrie Rue does ask the question, "How did this happen?" And he floats this Pygmalion idea, which is obvious, right? Older man, younger woman, um, with Sonny using Sonny's Pygmalion. He's using Elizabeth as his trilby. That belies her own complicity in the lies and fraud. And I don't doubt for a second that she was fully complicit. Um, I don't doubt it because she approached Rupert Murdoch. He didn't come to her. She went to him. And I'm not saying she did it explicitly to kill the story. I have no doubt the company needed the money. Their burn rate was phenomenal. Maybe it was just for additional funding. But the timing is awfully suspicious, right? I mean... She gets wind the New York Times is going to release a new story and she approaches the owner of the New York Times, or not, I'm sorry, Wall Street Journal. New York Times is something else entirely. I got a book on them I'm reading later this year. But the Wall Street Journal, she approaches the owner for funding and then hints that it might destroy her business. Yeah. Rupert Murdoch came out okay in this. You know what he did? When the shit hit the fan, he sold his shares for a dollar and wrote it off as a tax loss. Alright? That 125 mil was dropping the bucket to him. So, she miscalculated there. Thank God. I think Harry was close with his Pygmalion analogy. I think he was very close. Uh, the only thing I think her board of directors... I, I, I think that each member of her board of directors saw themselves as Pygmalion and she was their shining trilby that they were going to show off to the world. I think she was complicit. Now, in, like, 100%. In, in 2003, author Robert Greene released a book called The Art of Seduction, which was following on the heels of a successful 2000 book, The 48 Laws of Power. I would not be surprised to learn if Elizabeth had read one or both of these books and internalized their rules. Uh, both are excellent, by the way. I, I read them years ago. I have them. I may or may not read them again for this channel, I don't know, but they're excellent books. But everything about this story reminded me of the art of seduction. And in this case, seduction does not mean venal intent to bring one to bed. One can seduce mentally without ever bringing the bed into play. And there is, for the record, zero indication that anything untoward ever happened between Elizabeth Holmes and any of her investors, except for Sonny. All right, that one's well documented and known. But that's another red flag, right? She failed to disclose her personal relationship with her COO to her board of directors, which is another source of fraud, because this certainly would have impacted the board's decisions. And I think she handpicked her investors and seduced them mentally, one by one, until they were so blinded by her admiration of her vision that the rose-colored glasses just made the, red, made the red flags seem like nothing. They were just flags blowing in the wind. So that is a brief condensed version of Elizabeth Holmes and the Theranos Saga. If you want a bit more, HBO did a documentary feature called The Inventor, out for blood in Silicon Valley, which was excellent. And there's a Hulu miniseries called The Dropout, which was, I mean, it was dramatized. It was okay. It was an amazing cast. I, I think that that is... Um, I read about what happened to Ian Gibbons in the book, but Stephen Fry's portrayal of him just makes your heart bleed. God, that man can act. He's so good. But it was like an all-star cast. There isn't a single person on that screen that I didn't go, oh, he's from that. She's from that. They've done this. So I recognized everybody, and it was very well acted. But I think that they were trying to make Elizabeth rather more sympathetic than she deserves. 
I think she was a master manipulator and she used people. But that's Hollywood. I mean, they wouldn't know the truth if it bit them in the ass. And of course, there is the most definitive and excellent book on the matter, this week's book of the week. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much for watching. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think in the comments and I will see you guys next week. Bye.